This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated podcast in the market research and insights industry. Jen and her guests share valuable information to help you understand your customers better. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also ask Alexa or Siri to play Real Talk. This episode is presented to you by Vox PopMe, the leader in video surveys. Here's today's episode. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Vogel. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of better storytelling, not being boring, telling stories that stick out and are memorable with our insights. Um, this is a big topic. We've discussed it a lot on the show before. Um, it's also been a big topic in the industry, but let's play a quick clip to, uh, to remind us of some of the conversations we've had on the show before. If you give people information in PowerPoint and with some data, they will take that information in. But what really sticks with people is when they hear a story about it, right? And so um, whether you're, you're making your data into a story, yes, we try to do that. But I think when somebody's in somebody's home, right, and that person tells them a story of their life and what this product means to them, People remember that like for years sometimes, right? I hear people telling, I saw this consumer once and they, you know, that's where, um, that's where I think the idea of like using videos to bring your insights to life can, can really help um, kind of make people informed, but also make them, you know, more interested to pay attention and also make it stick in their brain a little bit better. That was such a great conversation. Go back to that episode with Elizabeth Trowinski from Reckitt, and um, you can hear more from her. But you know, uh, to we, I want to dig deeper into the topic of storytelling and market research. I know this is a topic that insights professionals are always trying to crack. You know how to create and tell that story to really drive change in their organization. So today I'm joined by trainer, strategist, lecturer, Anthony Taz Tazgal, author of three books, including the storytelling book. Welcome to the show, Taz. Hello. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm doing well today. Thanks for joining. Pleasure. It's uh, the afternoon in London, so a bit, bit later in the day for me. Yeah, yeah, we, we're across all the time zones. So first thing in the morning for me, I've got my coffee and uh, Taz has been on live streams all day long. So we'll see if he's got some in the tank for us today. <laughs> I'll try. Amazing. So could you give us a, a quick overview of why you're so interested in helping people tell better stories? Tell us a little bit about your, your background and what you do. Yeah, um, I'm one of those people that made the obvious jump from studying Latin, Greek, and ancient history to going into advertising. Mm. Um, and the reason I did that, I think, because it's hard to tell now, um, is I'd loved stories. I studied Homer, Virgil, Nero, and found all those stories and myths fascinating. And then I got to work in advertising, did a lot of presentations, saw a lot of presentations, endured a lot of presentations, and felt that a lot of them were really dull and really flat particularly research presentations, because they were full crammed of data and insights and numbers and facts and graphics. And I sort of yearned for that storytelling ability where you can hold a room, you can involve an audience, you can create and amplify different emotions. So I gradually started doing it myself. And then sort of 15, 20 years ago, I went out on my own. And I still do work with ad agencies and research companies 
to help them find insight and translate that into story. But a lot of the time now I'm doing training uh, with clients of all different sort of hues and denominations. Amazing. I'll share a, a probably not known fact about me. I, I studied Latin very um, intensely for about four years. I spent mm -hmm. a year translating the Aeneid from Latin into English. So there is a, <laughs> a little uh, uh, nerdiness about myself that probably a lot of the listeners don't know, but I love that. We're, we're going to have to take that, that conversation. Yeah, let's have a separate conversation about that for another Yeah, totally. Um, but I, so when you say you do training, like what does that look like when you're, you're doing training with um, uh, uh, companies or individuals about storytelling? Yeah, as well as doing speaking and lecturing and writing books, uh, probably about 70% of the time I'm doing training. So I run half day, full day, sometimes even like boot camps um, about how storytelling can really be brought to bear uh, in the research and insight and marketing world. Um, and it's, it's usually sort of three components, because anyone who knows anything about storytelling, uh, you'll know about the power of the, the number three. So a bit of Latin that you'll know, veni vidi vici. Yes. Okay, my story conquered. Liberté, galité, fraternité in French. Uh, three wise men, three blind mice, and the number of times you're a lady. Uh, so all those are very memorable threes. So I, I try and practice what I preach. So the first chunk is usually about where we're... That's the first thing. You have to understand, I think, where... The research insight marketing sales industry has gone wrong they, we become so obsessed with data and because there's so much of it because big data has become you know such a um a, sw a swell of information that we've we've equated quantity of information with quality of information and quality of insight and that just isn't the case so what we have to do is realize that just using jargon just using facts and numbers is not enough, particularly if we're in the art of persuasion. And again, one of the things that I found linked what I studied at, uh, at university and working in advertising was persuasion and rhetoric, understanding how great speakers in the past would work out how to influence their audiences. So again, the first thing is learning what's wrong. Um, and I have, a, I have a little saying, numbers numb us. Mm. After a while, our brain just gets, you know, full of numbers and it becomes impossible to, to work with. The second part, the middle part is, why is it that storytelling is so important? But also, why have we sort of lost the art? Because as children, we learn about the world through stories on our parents' grandparents' knees. When we become parents ourselves, that's how we help educate, inform our children about the world, about how to be a good person, about the role of their family, their history, their group, their faith, their football team. So that's the middle chunk, just reminding us of the power of, of storytelling and also learning from my other main topic, which is behavioral economics, the power of emotions and how emotions are really what is key to influencing people. It's not enough, again, just giving people facts and information and rationality, what we call system two. You have to operate at the emotional, instinctive, unconscious system one level mm -hmm. and then the third part of the day really is more tips and tricks and exercises and again the day is, is very interactive it's full of exercises working with live material um, and i have an exercise which is i call heroes villains conflicts and quests which is quite a creative exercise but again we work on live material and then we try and apply that exercise to come up with to create the structure um, of a story from that and that as i say that can be half a day a day 
Yeah, I'm sure there's a there's a lot of people out there who would benefit. Why, you know, kind of going back to the the first part, maybe we'll break this down into chunks um, of where we're going wrong and this over reliance yeah. on data. Why do you think companies or people are struggling um, with that, struggling with that over reliance on data and and struggling to create to craft stories out of that? I think historically, over the last sort of 20, 30 years, just the sheer, as I say, the sheer torrent of data has made people feel that that is all that they need to do. It's just put up lots of data and people will go, yep, that's great. Thank you very much. Now I need, I know, I know what I need to do. But I think, again, if you look at neuroscience and you look at how the brain works, I think most of us know this instinctively, don't we? That our brains don't work like that. There is, there comes a point where the brain just shuts down. I have an expression for this, which I do commend to your viewers and listeners, um, which, which started off as a typo, by the way. I'm a big fan of, of accidents and serendipity. So uh, my second book was called The Inspiratorium. I just happened to have that as well, uh, which is about insight and inspiration. And I'm a big fan of insight and inspiration coming from accidents, happy accidents. So I'd, I was writing, typing out um, the notes for a talk. And I'd written the, the expression attention span. But if you look at your keyboards, everybody, you'll see that the letters N and M are next to each other. So one day I accidentally typed attention spam mm. with an M. And suddenly, literally, the light bulb went off. And I've been using this expression ever since. So it's a way of saying that our brain generally will filter out what is not immediately emotionally, motivationally important. So a lot of the time we think that what we are saying, whether it's in a presentation to clients or whether it's even to our loved ones or children or assuming our children aren't our loved ones. Um, <laughs> that's another discussion. Um, we assume that everything we say goes from my attention inbox, if you like, to your attention inbox. But if you look at the neuroscience, a tiny fraction of what comes into our brain comes into our conscious system mm -hmm. so for me a lot of what we have to do is get through attention spam so just pouring out streams of numbers and data won't work we have to find ways of crafting a story using something human looking at the emotions crafting what you've done those sorts of things you're more likely to turn the vast array of information that you've got into something that people will feel is motivating and emotional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's true that, you know, that <laughs> what Elizabeth said in that clip from earlier and what you're like, when you actually, the, the facts are, you know, maybe true or maybe interesting or whatever, but they don't, they don't cut through, you know, they're not absorbed. When you hear someone's story, a powerful individual life story or whatever it might be, a story of data, people do remember that stuff. Yeah. Um, I've heard clients of ours even, you know, years after still be talking about that one person or that one video. Like we, we all know the person's name and exactly what they were talking about. And it just it really does stick with you. Yeah, there's an old saying, isn't there? And it's it's usually a criticism that you know the plural of anecdotes is not data. Mm. But I'm, I've always been slightly unsure about that because I think sometimes the 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 plural or the magnifier of data is is story, is anecdote, and it doesn't just have to be people in box pops. I remember I I um, saw a pitch. I was working for a client. I saw a pitch 20 years ago, 
And I can tell you it word for word now because it was so clear and it's so simple. And they had one visual for 20 minutes, which was a picture of a sheep. Hmm. And this, I won't go into the, obviously the details, but it was a, a luxury brand. And their argument was very simple, this agency, which was the brand I was working with at the time or representing was a luxury brand. And they said, look, you know, it's not fair to say that luxury style users are all individual and all different. And they're all, they're sheep in the same way that any group of people that follow a brand are sheep. Now I can, I can't do the exact words that they used 15, 20 years ago, but that story is crystal clear in my mind. Why? Because it had a very memorable image. So again, a lot of what I talk about in storytelling is it's not about numbers, it's about images, metaphors, analogies, stories. Um, but secondly, there was just a thread that ran through it, understanding the target audience, understanding the brand, and just the way that the sheep sort of allowed him to tell that, that story. And yes, there was data. He showed data about the audience that we were talking about. But that was, that was irrelevant, or it was secondary. What was, what was the most important driving force behind what he said was, was that the beauty and simplicity of that, of that anecdote. Mm. That's a really good segue, actually, because I think everybody listening will love to hear, like, what do you think makes a story really memorable? You started to touch on some some things. Can we go deeper on that? Yeah, I have all sorts of tips and tricks. I think there's something like 26 in the book. Um, the, the one thing I will, I will concentrate on, because um, anyone who's heard me or seen me before will expect me to say it, so I will. Um, and it's also why the book, which is gold on the, the cover there, and it's also got a needle and thread. Um, again, Jen, you'll be familiar with this, probably not in the Aeneid, but in the uh, in Greek mythology, uh, Theseus and the Minotaur, the story of the golden thread, mm-hmm. where Theseus has to try and get into the, the labyrinth to slay the Minotaur and rescue the Athenian uh, young men and young women. He meets Ariadne, Ariadne falls in love with Theseus and Theseus with Ariadne. And she says, no one has ever managed to find their way into this incredibly complex labyrinth. So she gives him, according to the myth, a ball of thread. Some people say it was golden. Um, Here, played by my iPhone. Um, And she says, take this ball of thread and on the outside, unravel it all the way until you get into the centre. And then once you've reached the centre and you've slain, that's what it did in those days, you've slain the Minotaur, you'll be able to trace your way out. And I've always loved that story. And again, I've, I've found it a very useful metaphor because when you're designing a presentation, especially if it's a data presentation and you've got hundreds and hundreds of, of data points of many, many slides, you need to have a structure. You need to have a framework. You need to have a skeleton that holds the thing together because otherwise you just have a collection of information. Someone once said about history, History is just one damn fact after another. <laughs> Which is why my son didn't like doing history. He did philosophy because he's interested in ideas, not in dates. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same is often, I'm, a, I'm afraid, the case with research presentations. Um, they are just a collection of different charts which happen to be in some sort of order. So when I, when I work with uh, research companies, insight departments, clients across the board, one of the things we spend a lot of time on is working out what is the thread what is the path through the woods as a lot of of writers call it and you may not be able to be 100 percent true to every bit of the information 
but you need a thread that the brain can hold on to, that your audience can latch on to, so that they literally don't lose the thread, which is why we use that expression. Um, but also it helps you as well, because once you as the presenter have that thread in your mind, it, it becomes quite clear where you are and where you're going on that same journey. So for me, that's probably the most important um, tip that I work with, work with clients mm -hmm. on. I love that. And I think one of the challenges I've seen, or I could see certainly in any research study is sometimes there's a lot of stories that come out of a single study or something like that. And when you're talking, well, as you're talking about, like, it's just a series of a collection of facts. It's just, you know, there's no common thread. I think oftentimes we want to tell all the stories, you know, because there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, so being able to have a single common thread that takes you through the whole story, you know, is is a great tip to think about, even if maybe there are really interesting, like multiple interesting new findings that we want to tell. But how does that connect together? What does that all mean in relation to each other as opposed to and, and then we found out this and then we learned this and oh, and also this, yeah. you know. Yeah, no. So often what I find myself doing when I'm working again with presentations or often with speeches with clients who are doing speeches. Um, and again, it's it's not my expression, but I, I use it a lot. You know, the signal from the noise. A lot of what we have to do is is extract the wheat from the chaff, elevate the signal, reduce the noise. So you just said, Jen, you know, that you may think this is a great point and this is a great story and that's a great story. But you can't have five, 10, 15 of them. As I say, probably the ideal is three. Um, so I have a client, a true story. Um, I was helping her do a speech, write a speech for a big um, client event. And she said, look, Taz, I've, I've got 13 things that I need to tell my audience. Yeah. And yeah, you laugh. And I said, well, you haven't really, have you? Yes, I have. No, you haven't. You might have three if you're lucky. So then what you have to do, which is, you know, what you just said, really, Jen, is you then have, okay, if, if it's like the organogram, what are the three main points? What's the thread that links those? And then see how many of the other points you can then make link into that. Because if you think you have 13 equally powerful stories or equally powerful points, you haven't. And all you're doing is just contributing to more noise. You may think it's signal, but your audience will, will see it as noise. And that, again, is a really common flaw that I see. And it's because everyone says, look, I've got so much to show, so much to say in this presentation. Yeah, I know you do, but that's why storytelling is as much about editing as it is about anything else. So part of what you said about the story is try to find one story that will encompass as much as you can. It may be that you have multiple stories or multiple hypotheses, again, probably maximum three, but even then, that's as probably as far as you can go before you're actually, as I say, creating more noise rather than just amplifying your important signal. Yeah, absolutely. And so as market researchers who are, you know, kind of using these facts and findings from from studies, how do we tell how, how do we start telling better stories? And you mentioned framework, you know, how what what's a good first step? I think a good first step, and again, I, I, I work with research companies, clients, et cetera, on this, is, is to really write, write, and write again. Um, again, we look at the history of, of writing and storytelling and screenwriting. Every, every author, every writer says, 
you know, the more you write, the clearer your brain, it becomes in your brain. You, you, as I say, you winnow stuff away. So again, what I do say to people is when you've got your data, you've got your charts, keep working on it, keep reducing it, keep looking at different threads and hypotheses. And it takes a little bit, like anything, it takes a little bit of practice. Um, what I do, for example, recommend, and I don't know if anyone's eaten yet, so I'll just be careful about my, my language. Um, I found a, a, being a big film fan, by the way, as well as doing training, lecturing and writing, um, I helped run a cinema in North London. Oldest continually running cinema in the in the United Kingdom called the Phoenix in East Finchley, um, 1910. So I'm a big film fan, and I saw an interview a few years ago with Will Ferrell, and he was being asked about how he writes his scripts with McKay. And he says what they do is they sort of go away together for a weekend, and they create what he called the vomit draft. <laughs> sort of if you've seen. And I've always loved that expression, and I recommend that you use it, because I do. So whenever I write my first deck of a, of a presentation, my first edit, I deliberately call it the vomit draft, because that's what I'm doing. I'm just throwing everything out there. But it's also a warning to myself that I will, under no circumstances, allow myself to present that, because it's just not ready. So once you do that, you then you throw all that out, but you know that you're going to work on it and reduce it and reduce it and reduce it. And then what you do is you say, OK, so there might be a story that's about this. There might be a story that's about this. So it might be a different target group or it might be about, I don't know, lapsed users versus current users or men versus women. So there are different stories and different hypotheses. And then what you do is you, you just play with it. And often I, I recommend, you know, you work with a teammate or your team, or your colleagues and say, OK, which which of these do we think is, is most true to the data? Which one tells the best story and does all of those things together? And again, it's quite a creative, sort of playful way of doing it, but it really does get you away from being swamped with all the sort of the morass of stuff that you've got into something that becomes more manageable and more easy to communicate. One, of, one thing that I've now heard you say a couple of times about, you know, kind of your target audience as the storyteller, right? Like, who are you, who is this story for? And I think sometimes as researchers, as insights folks, we're, you know, we're, we're worried about understanding our target audience, right? Our people who buy our products or people who engage with our services or with our brands or with our advertising, but understanding our internal customer, our audience of who we're telling this yeah consumer story to is such a crucial point um, and being able to make sure that we're speaking in a language that they're going to understand about things that they care about. And, um, you know, that that seems like something that I think for me probably gets missed often. You know, we're trying to tell the consumer story and understand the consumer, but it's just as important to understand our audience of who we're telling that story to. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I come from an advertising agency background. I was a planner, still a freelance planner, strategist. So, you know, rule number one is understand your target audience, mm -hmm. external or internal. Mm -hmm. And you're so right, Jen. It, ab you absolutely have to get under the skin, not just of your consumer, but your stakeholders, your clients. Understand what it is that they want. Understand, again, in terms of storytelling, you know, are they happy if you go a little bit? along the path to storytelling, can you go the whole sort of full fat version? Um, and there may be different for different audiences. Some audiences, you know, do need 
a lot of the validation, a lot of the numbers. Some might be happy, okay, just give me the top line, tell me the story. So again, you, you have to understand the best way to deliver to those different audiences. It might be different meetings, it might be different formats. So for example, what I always recommend um, is reduce the number of charts that you have, but have them there. Have all the other backup stuff hidden on a PowerPoint or have a separate deck. Because some people in that room might want the specifics, they might want the data. But again, the more, the closer you can get to your audience and understand where they sit on that spectrum, the better the presentation will be. Again, if I can, I'll even try and float some of the ideas to the audience before, before the presentation. Say, look, I want to do something which is going to use imagery. It's going to use a particular analogy. It's going to use, how do you feel about this? Do you think the room will, will be happy with that? Do I need to peg it back or do I need to sort of have a lot of validation before people accept it? And I've done, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of presentations. And it's, it's absolutely dependent on the, the group of people that you're talking to. But at least understand what, what you expect of them and what they expect of you. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, that's something I do just in my own day to day. I'll build the, you know, let's say we're planning annual strategy or whatever. I'll have a hundred page deck with all the details. And then the TLDR version, which is, you yeah. know, eight slides. Here's what you need to know. Like, and sort of choose your own adventure. You want to dig deep on any of this stuff? I've got that stuff to back it up or, you know, to talk a little bit more about the the weeds, as we say. Like, if you want to get in the weeds, we've got it, um, but we don't have to. Um, and it's it's really hard to simplify you know i think for me my own experience like it's easy to write a really long story or a really long piece of copy a really long email or a really long deck it's really hard to distill it down to the to the one thing that matters and that's where where it takes a lot of work um so i don't know what your experience is with that but that's been that's been what i've found well, you, you just you just led me nicely to a chart that I show um, probably about five times a week. Nice. Uh, and it's a quote from a French philosopher. So I don't know if anyone out there is into 16th century French philosophers. Um, by a French philosopher called Blaise Pascal, who wrote a series of, uh, book, a series of essays called Pensée, which means thoughts in French. Um, by the way, when I come to the States, I always say it was said by Mark Twain, because it's just easy. <laughs> um, but Pascal famously said, we've probably all heard this a version of this. He said, I'm, I'm sorry I wrote you a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. Mm. And it's such a beautiful, I'm going to use the word insight. It's a beautiful insight. Because it's, it is easy to write 5,000 words, to write 100 charts. Anyone can do that. Yeah. But writing eight slides is really tough because you have to, as you say, you have to simplify. There's a story I sometimes tell about my daughter. I hope she's not listening. Um, which is a couple of years ago, she just finished, graduated um, at university, a place called Brighton in, uh, in England. And uh, she'd come home just the Chris Christmas before um, because we have lots of Christmassy birthdays in my family. So my daughter is the 17th of December. I'm New Year's Eve. My wife is the 2nd of January. My eldest is the 8th of January. So it's a busy and very expensive time uh, in the Tazgall household. So my daughter was, was looking forward to all the parties over Christmas, which she said, Dad, I'm really worried. I said, what's the matter? She said, I've got a 5,000 word essay to write over the holiday. So I just said, well, you know, 
any idiot can write 5,000 words, which maybe wasn't my most brilliant piece of parenting. But that, that's the point. Anyone can write 5,000 words, but writing 5,000 good words, that's it. So a lot of storytelling is precisely what you just, you just touched on, Jen, which is finding that thread, reducing. I mean, you said too long did not read. One of the other acronyms that I use, which I borrowed, is TBU. So a lot of the secret of getting from your 100 slides to 30 to 10 to 8, whatever, is every time you have a slide, or every time you even have a point on a slide, is you ask yourself, TBU, is this true but useless? Because everything we put together is going to be true. It's going to be fantastic. We love it. It's like one of our children, it's one of our babies. But is it, is it meaningful? Is it relevant to the absolute heart of your story and the absolute centre of that thread? And if it isn't, it has to go. It's painful. I know it's painful, but that's the secret of storytelling and, and journalism and all those sorts of sort of allied areas, but it is painful. And it's especially painful, I think, for, for researchers, um, particularly quantitative, when you've got so much material, but you have to be ruthless. Otherwise, you end up writing, you know, 5,000 slots. I, I have also a quote, which again, uh, anyone can tell me if they, if they think this is true, that no one ever left a meeting saying, I wish there'd been more slides. <laughs> I think that's definitely true. <laughs> Nobody's ever looking for more PowerPoint slides, that's for sure. Oh, listen, I mean, so I say to people, okay, if we all think that's true, how come we still do this? So I think it is that like feeling like all like you need all the information. I need to present all the information. And that's I think where people I know I get hung up. You yeah. know, you need all the information. People don't need all the information. Um I think it's Donald Miller who talks about the um the, the curse of knowledge yes. and how when you're trying to explain things to people, you know, my level of knowledge on a particular subject is a 10. You know, I'm trying to get people to understand it at like a two. I need to I need to distill it down to to a two. But often we know we need to do that, but we just don't take it far enough. So we get stuck in this like six or seven mark. I'm not explaining it properly. Look up Donald Miller. It's a yeah, he's got a great grand story. Yeah. No, but there's, again, because I talk a lot and train a lot about behavioral economics, again, the sort yeah. of psychology, um, it's easy to understand the psychological reasons why we do that. So for researchers, it's often very simply that you've paid, haven't you, client? You've paid for all this data. Surely you want to see it all, which the answer is no. They haven't paid to see all the data. They've paid to see what is important, what is meaningful for you to tell them what to do. So again, I often have to sort of grab researchers and sort of shake them a little bit and say, I know you've done all this. This is all the homework. You can hide it, have the, the charts hidden, or you can have it as a separate deck. But under no circumstances, again, it's that expression, you've given me the vomit draft. You know, I don't want that. I want the, the so what, the now what. That's, that's what clients are paying for. Yeah, I've heard I've heard other people in the industry say that before. It's like, here's all the facts, but where's the so what? Yeah. And that's really the thing that we're we're hunting for. So as you're crafting the story, you know, how do you know that you've hit the mark? How do you know you've got it? Um, I think there's two ways of looking at that. One, you yourself. And one is the audience that you're talking to. And, and in reverse order, they will probably be the, 
the most important criterion of whether you've hit that. They'll tell you, they'll know. You can see from their faces, you can listen to how they respond. Um, but in terms of how you know yourself, again, I think there is that sort of creative instinct because a lot of what I'm talking about really is under the heading of creativity. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously spend a lot of time talking about strategy. Um, a planner, I'm a planner, I have to contract you. I'm legally obliged to say the word strategy at least once every half an hour. Um, but a lot of this is about being creative. And in the same way that, um, I don't know, if a comedian is, is trying to craft a joke or a writer is trying to write a story, there's a moment where you go, oh, yeah, that's it, that fits, that's right. I do think you get something close to that when you're doing a presentation and suddenly it sort of fits into place or it falls into place and suddenly you think, okay, that seems to work. It's a great analogy. It's a great metaphor. I was doing something uh, a couple of months ago um, and I couldn't, I needed a way of saying the way that this brand was going to be best communicated. And it had all the data and all the information. And as often happens when you look at how insight happens, I'd gone to bed, couldn't work it out, woke up in the morning and suddenly, you know, eureka. Um, and I just dreamt about a lighthouse. And I suddenly thought, okay, that's exactly the analogy that I was trying to, trying to draw, the metaphors trying to draw. So once I had that, idea of, of a lighthouse everything else sort of flowed in and out of that in terms of shining a light because that's what I was trying to sort of do so suddenly I could use the image of that visually and actually have a, an image of it on my slides but it also was something that all the other insights and all the other data that I wanted to go through sort of suddenly coalesced around so there is there is that and it is it isn't you know not everyone is going to do that immediately and maybe some People are quicker at that than others, but for me, it's 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 at least worth trying. Yeah, I do. I do think I have some of my best ideas in the middle of the night. I often will send messages to my team, going worst worst possible idea in the middle <laughs> of the night. What's that? You do it in the middle of the night. You send messages oh, in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Otherwise, I'll forget. Okay. I can schedule them for the morning, but I'll right. say this is my three a.m. insight. But it's interesting because again, insight is my third area that I'm interested in as well as behavioral economics and storytelling. And what you've described is often called the three B's. Um, if you look at how insight comes, so again, there's a, man, a scientist called Isaac Asimov, um, who was a famous scientist and science fiction writer. He wrote Foundation and Empire and iRobot. Uh, and he famously said that scientists, when they come up with a discovery, they don't go Eureka. What they do go is, that's funny. And again, in the literature, the insight literature, they talk about the three Bs. A, a vast number of creative people, artists, scientists, talk about the moment being one of the three Bs, bed, bath or bus. So for you, it's, it's in bed, in the bath, it was Archimedes, famously with Eureka. And also a lot of people say, you know, I stepped on the bus and suddenly as I stepped on the bus, it just, because again, that's the unconscious system one giving us ideas and making connections that we that we hadn't thought about. I love that. I think that's a that's a good place to leave it today. And uh, this has been a really good conversation. I'm going to be now paying more attention to I don't often get on a bus, but maybe I maybe I'll need to maybe that's what I'm missing when I'm trying to come up with good ideas. 
But um, thank you so much for for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Next time we talk, we're gonna we're gonna go in depth on the Aeneid and uh, Roman mythology. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I prefer the Iliad, but I'll let you have the Aeneid. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so thanks for um, uh, joining us today. Uh, you can find Taz at Taz Wellhill on Twitter and Taz Tazgal on LinkedIn. His books and the usual places, we'll link out to them in the show notes. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon, and we will see you then. Insights Marketing Day is back. This one-day face-to-face event will be packed full of industry-leading speakers providing essential tips and tools to improve your company's marketing. From social media to blogging, web to growth hacking strategies, branding, and lead generation, we'll cover a range of topics that need to be addressed for a successful, comprehensive, and interconnected marketing plan. We'll talk big picture with strategy and annual content calendars down to the granular level of getting more visible on LinkedIn. So you leave informed and inspired. If you're ready to get a jumpstart on making 2022 your best year ever, don't miss Insights Marketing Day. Visit insights-marketing.org. Use the code PERCH, P-E-R-C-H, for 20% off your ticket price. See you there.